Hi, this is Debbie Taylor Williams. Thank you for tuning in to my podcast. I'm so glad you're here and pray the Lord will speak to you through this message. Hi, I'm Debbie Taylor Williams. Thank you for joining me for our study of 1 Peter chapter 5. Today we are faced with so many issues in our nation. Would you agree? Disease such as COVID reemerging, long COVID we're now hearing about, monkeypox, destruction, fire bombing of a pro-life pregnancy center, business windows being bashed in, statues torn down, death, an assassination attempt on Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh, school shootings, church shootings, random shootings, divorce, not only happening, but celebration parties being held with pinatas being included in the celebration, drag queen shows for children age three and up funded by taxpayer dollars. In 1 Peter 5, we see how important it is for us to live for Christ and be His light, pointing others as we stand against falling for Satan's schemes in our own lives. Peter addresses us right where we are. In verses 1 through 4, he continues to encourage us to live as examples to others. In verses 5 through 6, He continues to encourage us to walk humbly in humility. In verse 7, Peter tells us to give our worries over to God, fully assured that He cares about us and what is going on in our lives. In verses 8 through 9, Peter gives us a strong warning that we are to resist the devil. He who ignored Jesus' warning that Satan was going to test him, he now strongly warns us that the devil is real and that there is no one beyond being tested. In verses 10 through 15, Peter tells us to stand firm, not just against Satan, but to stand firm in the grace of God. The grace of God, where we began with Peter, that Peter's heart and Christ's heart is for us to walk in grace, live by His grace, breathe God's grace in a world that is so harsh and often not grace-filled. He tells us not only to walk in God's grace, but to extend God's grace to others. Peter's words to us today are some of the most important words we can hear and not only hear, but live. Why? We are facing hard times today, but the Bible tells us it's going to get more difficult as the time of Christ reappearing nears. It's important that we model to those in our lives how they can live out their faith in the midst of stress, in the midst of criticism, and even in the midst of fear. The change, the challenge, is for us to be Christian spouses, parents, teachers, employers, employees, students who do more than talk the talk about Christ's sufficiency, peace, and power. We do more than talk the talk. We live it. Rather than be worried believers who fall for the devil's schemes, we model how to stand firm in God's grace and His peace. 
Now, get your pen and study God handy as we go through 1 Peter 5. As with each week, keep your ears and your heart tuned to what the Lord wants you to learn and live. Be prayerful about what He wants you to know and show others and even grow in. In whatever season or space of worry, suffering, temptation, loneliness, illness, doubts, or anxieties you have. Let's read verses 1 through 4. They tell us to live as an example and begin there. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you, as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor is lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd Jesus appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. As we look at these verses, let's first of all consider the context. Peter addresses the elders of the church and how they are to shepherd those in their fold, their church, or their house church. Although you and I may not be an elder in the church, the principles taught apply to us. Why? Because likely we have a flock, even a small one. It may be a flock of children, a small group Bible study, or home group we lead. It may be our group of friends we do life with. It may be a team that we work with at our business. The principles are applicable. First, in verse 2, we are told to shepherd according to the will of God. Does that sound familiar? It's important. We are to shepherd. Let's start there because that is a responsibility we are not to abdicate. We are not to put it off on someone else. Today, some parents abdicate their parenting responsibilities to the school. They don't want to parent. Yes, they wanted children, but they don't want to do the work of teaching, training, correcting, disciplining, because it is work. So they abdicate that, they leave that to the school. If you are a shepherd, if you have any over whom you have responsibility, do your work as the shepherd, verse two points out, shepherd according to the will of God. We talked in chapter 4 about living for the will of God. Now, Peter tells us, in addition to living for the will of God, we are to shepherd according to the will of God. God's message is clear. And I love this. This is something that God continues to remind us of throughout the Bible. God's will, not ours, is a priority. Would you just say that with me? God's will, not mine, is a priority. He alone is God, and we are not to have any idols, including ourselves, our will, before His will. How can we shepherd according to the will of God? We must daily offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to Him. We must study the Bible to know, 
and be continually refreshed in his word and teachings. We must be prayerful. We must be good listeners and continually learning how to better discern his voice. This is so important. We must yield to him and walk as his spirit prompts us. In other words, just as a yield sign designates which car is to yield when there are two at the same intersection, the Bible designates we are to yield our wills to God. If we don't want a life crash, we must yield to His will. The second point we see in verse 2 is shepherd with eagerness. Have you ever dragged your feet when it came to serving God? Did you sign up to help with vacation Bible school and then you wished you hadn't? Have you ever accepted a teaching position and then with all the preparation that was required, you were doing anything but preparing with eagerness? Have you ever found that you're procrastinating in something that you knew God had led you to do? Or have you ever felt down about yourself and doubted if where God placed you was the place you were to serve. God tells us that instead of believing that the work you're doing isn't important, or that you're wasting your time, or that you'll get to your shepherding commitment later, that we are to shepherd, we are to do our work with eagerness, knowing the time is short. God has a purpose and a plan in those he puts in spheres of influence. So do your ministry, do your commitments with eagerness. A good point to learn and live. Our third point in verse three is the shepherd as an example, one who has been proven. This is critical. Our faith in the Lord and his presence and his power must first be proved and evident in our lives before we can lead and help others. We have discussed this too before. Is there an area where you do talk the talk, but you don't walk the walk? If so, make that an area of prayer so your flock can see that you are living what you are saying. Fourth, in verse four, we see that we are to shepherd in anticipation of the chief shepherds, Jesus's appearing. Do you live an anticipatory life? Do you live looking at the sky and thinking that he could come back today? Christ is returning. Peter keeps reminding us of his appearing. Why? Because the last time Peter saw Jesus, he was rising into the clouds and the angels told Peter and the others that Jesus was returning in just the same way. If you haven't done my end time study, you can find it on my website at debbietaylorwilliams.com or my ministry YouTube channel. You will learn about Christ's return and how exciting it is for us believers. So we see this first principle in chapter 5, where to live and shepherd in light of Christ's return. Think for a moment. Who is in your flock? Immediate family? Extended family? Are you a leader of a small group Bible study? Are you a leader in another capacity in your church? Are you a youth worker, a life group leader, a prayer leader? Do you lead your team at work? Live and shepherd 
in light of the glory to be revealed when Christ returns. Live in light of his imminent return. Second, we see in chapter 5, verses 5 through 6, that we are to clothe ourselves with humility. What a great visual. Using the metaphor of putting on clothes, Peter tells us to put on, clothe ourselves with humility. The word humility in this verse has to do with humble recognition of personal unworthiness before God or even man. Not a false modesty, but rather an accurate self-perception. Humility is the opposite of inner spiritual pride, arrogance, or inflated ego. Yet it does not involve self-rejection or poor self-image. Bible commentator Thayer says, It is to behave in an unassuming manner, devoid of all haughtiness or self-conceit. Let me ask you, have you ever known a really great Bible teacher or preacher, but there was an air of arrogance about them? What about a humble Bible teacher? Who do you prefer learning from? Peter says in our shepherding others, teaching our children, talking to our spouse, teaching our class, debating a point, we're to put humility on. Humility is a Christ-like attitude that is becoming. In regard to humility, Peter specifies in verse 5, younger men, be subject, and this is a command, to your elders. No arrogance allowed when talking to an older person. Isn't this a message that needs to get out into our world? What better place to start and model it than in the church among believers? What practical teachings we are receiving. Yes, certainly we can disagree or agree to disagree with somebody older than us, but we should always have an air of humility, whether they're older or not. Not a prideful spirit or air when we are speaking with people, especially those older than us. Second, verse 5, all of you clothe yourself, and again, this is a command. It means do it now. Clothe yourself with humility towards one another. So now Peter extends the reach of humility. Each of us, every believer, should put on humility every morning before we get out of bed and go to bed in it. Lest we forget the importance of humility toward God. Peter reminds us of that also. Verse 6, humble yourselves. Again, a command. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Here again we have this word that we are to do this. It's not to be an option. What does it mean to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God? How do we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God? We kneel. We bow our head and heart. The word under is important. We put ourselves, our wishes, our feelings, attitudes beneath what our Heavenly Father and Savior want under what they are doing and accomplishing in our circumstances and those for whom we're interceding. We pray in your will as Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. So we see these four principles. Principle one, God has a mighty hand. Two, he is opposed to the proud. Three, God gives grace to the humble. Four, God will exalt you at the proper 
time. In verses one through four, we learn to clothe ourselves in humility. Now, having learned it, will we live it? Now that we know it, will we show it? Will we grow in it? In 1 Peter 5, 7, we move to this important teaching, and that is cast all your anxiety on God because he cares for you. Oh, I love this verse. It's so applicable to every one of us. When our children, Taylor and Lauren, were five and three, I created a kids' time activity devotional to teach them 26 A to Z Bible verses. Verse C, I used 1 Peter 5, 7. Their activity was to cast a worry using their Mickey Mouse fishing poles over a blue sheet that I had hung in the kitchen. I, on the other side, pretending to be Jesus, took their worry. 1 Peter 5, 7 is an important verse for children to learn, but it's also an important verse for adults to learn. The word cast in this verse means to throw upon, place upon, give up to, as you might cast the bait on the end of a fishing line out and throw it upon the water. As Peter was probably thinking about casting the fishing net upon the water, it went from him out. And that is what this means. All and every worry of every kind is to be given over to Jesus. What does this word anxiety means? It includes your cares. What are your cares? What are your anxieties? Rather than keep them and let worry and stress eat you up or affect your temperament, cast them, give them to God. And why? God cares for you. He cares for you. There's a warning, our worries can become bait for Satan if we don't turn them over to the Lord. You can cast your worry on Jesus knowing that he cares for you, or you can let that worry be Satan bait throughout your day. For instance, let's say you're anxious about work. You have more to do than you feel you can accomplish. You're a bit overwhelmed. You can cast that worry on Jesus, or you can let your anxiety get the best of you. You can let it be Satan bait. He will be more than happy to prompt you to say rude words or numb your anxiety with food, alcohol, a pill, or shopping beyond your budget. Let's think of another example. Your husband is either not attentive or he's attentive in an overbearing way, complaining about everything you do. You can cast that worry about your husband on Jesus and pray to be a blessing to him and him honor you. Or you can just let your husband's inattentiveness be Satan bait and respond to a coworker's flirtations. Another example, you're anxious about the bills piling up, understandably. You can cast that anxiety on Jesus and ask him to guide you to a better budgeting plan, or you can let your anxiety about finances be Satan bait and take out another credit card that'll get you more in debt. Hmm, are we seeing this principle? Whatever the anxiety, it can either be an opportunity to draw closer to the Lord who cares for you, or it can be Satan bait, if not given over to the Lord. Peter has told us, 
how to relate to one another, to elders, God. And now he tells us how we should relate to the devil, speaking of Satan bait. In verses 8 through 9, listen to his words. Oh, be of sober spirit. Again, sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. As you, friend, experience increased animosity in our culture due to your Christian convictions, these are words to learn and live, know and show. Rather than be surprised at the animosity, Peter gives us three important words of wisdom that are in fact holy scripture inspired commands. One, be a sober spirit, it's the command, which means calm and collected in spirit, temperate, dispassionate, circumspect. In other words, Rather than get angry, be mad, be circumspect. Think the situation over, realize what's going on, be prayerful. Two, be on the alert. Another command, do it now. If you haven't been being, start being on the alert. The word alert means to watch, give strict attention to, be cautious, active. It means to take heed, lest through remissiveness, some destructive calamity suddenly overtakes you. Now that should wake us up. Think with me how Satan could get a foothold in your marriage if you neglect this teaching, if you simply hear it or read it, but you don't learn it and live it. You get in an argument with your spouse. One thing leads to another. You end up not speaking, but what if you were of sober spirit? What if you were alert? You realize the enemy was creating the division in your marriage. Too many marriages, friendships, parenting relationships, church relationships suffer loss because we are not alert to the schemes of the devil. We react to the person before us rather than see beyond the person to the instigator behind their words or activity. The third point Peter gives us, having experienced the devil, he says, resist. The devil is your adversary, your enemy. You have an enemy and he's more experienced than us. We must live by the Spirit and the mind of Christ or we'll lose our battles with Satan. He tells us the devil prowls around on earth like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, but he can be resisted. This is a word of encouragement. Resisted means to set oneself against, oppose. You can resist the devil. How? By being firm in your faith, Peter writes. By knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by other believers in the world. Think about these words. Suffering can be accomplished, Peter says. You may think, I can't handle this, but you can by the power of Christ in you. Peter gives a word of encouragement in writing, knowing that after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself, get ready, Christ himself will perfect you, confirm you, strengthen you, and establish you.
Now, there are three points regarding resisting temptation that we need to learn and live, know and show others. One, resisting the devil is not easy. It requires being alert, giving strict attention to the situation, being cautious. You have to set yourself against the devil, forming your faith. You have to suffer for a little while to resist, like Jesus did in the wilderness, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Two, there are seasons in which we suffer temptation more than other seasons. So again, be on the alert. For instance, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, Satan tempted him in the wilderness. Luke 14, 13 then states, when the devil had finished every temptation, he left him until an opportune time. Did you hear those words? An opportune time. That time came immediately after Peter confessed Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter tried to divert Jesus from going to the cross, but Jesus saw straight through Peter beyond him and said in Matthew 16, 23, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interest, but man's. Do you see how Jesus did that? He was alert. He saw beyond Peter. We need to do this in our relationships. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said, The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. There are times we suffer temptation more than others. There are times we are more vulnerable, we're weaker. There's a third thing, and that is that being tempted and suffering, resisting the devil, is accomplishing something and is shared by other believers. In heaven, you'll celebrate all the victories and the grace that took you through it. The fact is the devil does prowl like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But friend, listen to this good news. He prowls like a roaring lion. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah and he is victor. Look to him. In verses 10 through 15, we wind up this meaty chapter with the encouragement in verses 10 through 15 to stand firm in the grace of God. He reminds us that the God of all grace called you to his eternal glory in Christ, the God of all grace will perfect you, confirm you, strengthen and establish you. The God of all grace has eternal dominion. Satan's days are numbered. We begin by saying there are five points for us to learn and live, know and show others, so that they might see and hear and believe. Which of the following five do you want to immediately put into action? Is it number one, shepherd others as an example? Is it number two, clothe yourself with humility? Is it number three, cast all your anxiety on God? Is it number four, resist the devil? Or is it number five, stand firm? in the grace of God. Oh, now that we've learned so much through our study of 1 Peter, will we live it? Now that we know so much from Christ's heart through Peter to us, now that we know it, will we show it? I pray our response is yes. Thank you for joining me for this study. 
Thank you for listening to this podcast. To learn more about how to grow in Christ or to be saved, visit www.debbietaylorwilliams.com. Connect with me on Instagram at Debbie Taylor Williams. God bless you.